Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Grace Everett. An autistic self-advocate, Grace is also a second-year college student, a theater artist, and an award-winning playwright. Her work in musical theater includes playing the title role in Carrie and Joe March in Little Women. The first play she wrote, The Last Sunrise of August 1973, won Texas Thespian Playworks in 2019. And several of her other plays have been performed across the U.S. by various youth theaters and professional companies. In today's conversation, we discuss Grace finding out about her autism at age 18, unmasking, queer identity and self-acceptance, how Grace's diagnosis influenced her acting, increasing autistic representation in the arts, what Grace likes about writing and acting, transitioning into college, and advice for autistic actors. In this episode, discover what's possible when you act yourself. To learn more about Grace, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you Grace Everett. Hi, Grace. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's start with a brief introduction. Hi, my name is Grace Everett. I'm uh, newly 19 years old as of like a week ago. Crazy. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a queer theater artist, playwright, college student, and I'm also autistic. Great. Well, happy belated birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about your autism. You were diagnosed at 18, correct? Yes. What was that like for you to find that out about yourself? Well, a lot of the self-discovery actually came as a result of the pandemic and so much time being spent inside just kind of with my own thoughts. And I was realizing as I was less and less obligated to mask and to put on a front socially, that there was a different way that I wanted to behave and my instincts were telling me to act. And it was really strange to be coming to terms with the fact that I might not be who I thought I was, even though I myself am still the same person. I just am sort of peeling back the layers to that. And so after a while, I went up to my mom and I was like, mom, I want to get a full battery psych exam because I think I might be on the spectrum. And she was like, really? I mean, we can try. We can see what happens. My mom was a little bit more here for it than my dad. My dad was kind of like, seriously, whatever. Okay. (laughs) Like, not in a bad way, though. I love him to death. I really do. But he was just kind of like, I don't think so, but cool. And 
yeah, I went and I did a uh, full psych evaluation. I do have to say that I recognize how much of a privilege it is to be able to be diagnosed. That's something that not a lot of people have access to. And even a lot of the people that do have access to going to see a psychologist and going through the appointments, like I also recognize that there's a lot of privilege that comes with me being a white cis woman on the spectrum. Even though being a woman on the spectrum is a little bit difficult in itself, like there's a lot of privilege that needs to be addressed there. And I'd feel weird talking about this without pointing that out. Okay. Got it. And yeah, I found out after my evaluation that surprise, surprise, I am autistic. And ever since then, I've been really working to dismantle my preconceived notions about what autism has to look like and what a person has to act like or be enabled to be taken seriously in the workplace, in social situations, in friendships, etc., etc. And I'm working really hard to spread awareness and educate people where I can because I really love it. I really love being able to tell people about my story and listen to their stories. Okay. Got it. So let's go back to the moments when you were questioning if something was different about you. And you said that at the beginning part of the pandemic, you were alone in your thoughts and you started to kind of unmask. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you give some examples of things that you felt like you wanted to express more authentically? It was a lot of the things that I wasn't doing, actually. It was more about the absence of some things and the presence of new things. It was the fact that I was no longer having to expend so much energy in order to socialize. It was the fact that I didn't feel like I had to constantly be so stiff and always be focused on here are all the things that you have to do in order to have an appropriate, quote, you know, appropriate conversation. And it was the fact that I started to feel so distinctly good when I wasn't obligated to do those things. And I was like, what's that about? Like, is everybody feeling this right now? Because I know everybody's like, I hate this pandemic. And I'm like, I hate this pandemic. But this is kind of a relief mm. to be able to catch a break from all of this. And then I was like, huh, I don't think that's an everybody thing. I think that's just me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you knew about autism already? Yeah, I, I knew what it was. I didn't know really all of the ways that it could present. I will be honest, I was very much also affected by the idea that autism can really only be like six-year-old white boys who like trains. Yeah. There was that preconceived notion in my mind. And so I was like, no way could I be autistic. Like I'm creative. That was the first thing that went through my mind is I can't be autistic because I'm not math minded. And it's like, well, who says that's what it has to be? Like, maybe that's just because that's what a lot of the media representation we've been seeing says that autism looks like, but it really is so much more than that. And it depends on every person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Grace, what was it like for you growing up? Um, <laughs> there are so many things that I can look back at now and go, how did nobody notice? 
<laughs> like, I was actually talking to my mom about this over spring break because I got to go home from college and hang out with my family. And we were just talking about what it was like for me growing up and the things that I did that were a little bit, you know, funky, different. I vividly remember that I, one of my hobbies was to plan out meticulously this daycare that I wanted to make. And I don't think that this was anything that I really felt like I wanted to do in real life. I just enjoyed the planning of it. And so I would design the t-shirts and I would create the layout of the building and I would come up with like pretend kids so that I could organize their stuff in their rooms and like move the beds around and I don't know, plan field trips and stuff like that. I don't like kids enough to want to start a daycare. (laughs) (laughs) Like there was no real ambition for me to do that. But like every time my family and I went to Walmart, I always wanted to go and look at sheets and bedding and bedroom decorations because I wanted to mentally plan my daycare. And that was one big thing. That and then the fact that I always and I mean always, wore the same green sweater everywhere to the point where, you know, it had holes in it. My parents didn't want me going out in it because I looked homeless. Mm-hmm. Aww. And I refused to take it off. Even when I was in gym class, they wouldn't let you keep your jackets on. I put up a stink about it every time. And they were like, take your jackets off and put them on the bleachers over here. And I was like, <laughs> no. I will take my jacket off and tie it around my waist and you are not taking it away from me. Was it like a security blanket for you or something? Yes, kind of in a way. I mean, it was it was the closest thing that I ever really had to one. Yeah, hmm. I didn't have the words to explain why I felt I needed it. And that I think is the biggest struggle that I had growing up is that I felt all of these things, but I just didn't have the vocabulary to explain why I acted the way I did, why I needed the support that I did. And so instead of knowing the word autism to be, you know, attributed to all of these, quote, weird things that I did, I just, I associated it all with weird and different and outcast. And so that, you know, that, that, didn't do great things for me emotionally because human beings are wired to seek approval from other humans. And I felt like no matter what I did, no matter how hard I tried, I was not going to be worthy of approval because I was too different to fit in, but not different enough for it to be exceptional. Hmm. Did you have any friends? Yeah, I I had quite a few friends in elementary school just from, (laughs) this is actually a funny thing that I did. I did competitive improv (laughs) when I was younger. Okay. Like four and five years old. No, not that. Fourth and fifth grade, not four and five years old. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) I think if I was put up in front of a group of people at age four, I would scream. (laughs) Oh, okay. Actually, I did. That did happen at my uh, preschool Christmas show. We were singing, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. And I got on the stage and I was holding the hippopotamus from Backyardigans. 
like a stuffed animal. And I just started yelling and screaming on the stage, wearing like a macaroni necklace and my pajamas. I was just like, ah! Yeah, that's pretty scary for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, that's funny, but I don't remember it. So I can't remember if it was, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember details. <laughs> so how does autism affect your everyday life now? A lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm I'm so actively working to unmask. And now that I'm in college and I'm able to, for the first time, publicly identify as autistic and allow it to be, I guess, outwardly a factor in my life that other people see, because it's always affected my life, but now it's just, it's affecting my life in a way that I try and help other people understand. And it's so nice because I've been able to seek out accommodations that are helpful for me through the Center for Students with Disabilities at my school. I've been able to make several amazing friends that all know that I'm on the spectrum. And it's not, you know, they're not my friends because of that, but they know about it and they're like, okay, cool. We also love you because you're Gracie and you're weird and awesome and cuckoo bananas and super cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's another thing that I'm, I'm trying to unpack is that weird is not a bad thing. And now that I'm in college and I have friends that are also really weird, I'm able to really lean into that and learn about what it's like to be able to just be yourself completely. I mean, I... Heck, I play Dungeons and Dragons now. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm up there with the weirdos, and yeah. I'm happy about it. Nice. Well, it sounds like you've found your people. I really have. I really have, and I love them so much. I have such amazing friends and an amazing artistic community to collaborate with that is just so great. Okay. Yeah, and we'll talk about your craft in a little bit. So you mentioned that you are queer. Yes. Did you always know this about yourself? Yeah, I think I did. My earth-shattering realization wasn't, oh no, I like girls. It was, oh no, society doesn't like that I like girls. That was what it was. I think I really realized when a bunch of my friends were talking about (laughs) celebrity crushes. I was in like fifth grade. And this was this was the same time that the Fault in Our Stars movie came out. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, the guy in that movie is so hot. And I was like, hey, 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 hey. what? <laughs> Just like looking at them blinking, trying to understand what it was that they saw in this dude. And then I just kind of was like, oh, <laughs> yes attractive and then I went home and cried about it I I laugh about it now because I think it's funny but you know Mm -hmm. it was it was really hard for me growing up because I thought that this was a life sentence to never be happy to never find love and now I know that that's not true but when you're a kid who already knows that you're different and weird and not like everybody else. Having that other thing kind of stacked on top of 
what I now know to be autism was just a lot. And it was not a good feeling. When did you finally come out? I came out to my friends and people at school, like 13, 14-ish. And I came out to my family when I was 15. But I'll be honest, like I didn't fully accept myself at that point. I think it took until I was, geez, I mean, probably 17 for me to fully be like, yeah, this is me. This is who I am. And I love every part of her. And I'm really, really fortunate that I can say that now. And I'm really proud of how far I've come. Was there something that helped you accept yourself? Um, honestly, the pandemic. I hate that I'm attributing so much self-growth to that absolutely miserable time of like Tiger King and whipped coffee (laughs) and sitting inside on your couch until your butt gets sore. Like, (laughs) I hate that that is the time that has helped me discover so much about myself, but it really has. And I went to an outpatient psychiatric treatment center from January to March of 2020. You know, I look back on that now and I'm like, that was so much growth and so much positivity that I really needed in my life. And I learned a lot about myself and about what I need as a person. And then because I discharged like three days before lockdown, I really had time to sit with everything that I just learned about myself. Because I just spent, you know, two months working so hard to overcome these these negative thoughts. A lot of them related to my sexuality. A lot of them related to the fact that I wanted to be anything but queer. And yeah, once I had some time to just allow that to sink in, allow that to process, I really did feel so much better. Hmm. Well, that's great. And your family was supportive? Yes. That, that's the thing is like, you would think that based on the way that I beat myself up for it, that they were unsupportive or mean or something like that. Seriously, the two words my dad said when I finally came out and I was sobbing, I was like an ugly mess. And he just looks at me and he goes, we know. And I just started crying so much harder. I was like, this whole time, this whole time I thought I was doing a good job hiding this embarrassing part of me. But he's always known. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm looking back and I'm like, he always knew. He knew me better than I knew me. Which I'm so thankful for. Have you been in a relationship? I have. It's one that that ended pretty recently, and it's been tough for sure, but I think a lot of the reason that it ended when it did is because I was out and she was not, and she was still in that process of trying to figure out, you know, what do I identify as? How active do I want to be in the LGBTQ community? Like, all of that stuff, and I was over here like I have known this since I was nine. 
And so I was ready for a relationship where I felt like I could be loved publicly. And I told her that I was willing to wait for her. And it just, in the end, it didn't really work out. And I mean this in absolutely no, no hard feelings to her because we're still, we're still friends. Actually, like I got, I got a text from her as we were recording this, Mm -hmm. which I'm going to reply to later. (laughs) But yeah, like we're still close. I don't have any hard feelings towards her because I understand that coming out is such a difficult journey and everybody's got to take their own time, follow their heart when it comes to that. So I get it. Yeah. Well, that's very mature and understanding of you. I've always been told that I'm very mature. That is one of adults' favorite things to say about me when I, <laughs> when I was younger. Me at like nine years old, speaking with this absurdly big vocabulary and grownups are just like, you are so mature for your age. You're such an old soul. And I was like, ha ha. Yes. Because I was engaging in adult small talk rather than like playing pretend with other kids. And now I'm looking back and I'm like, girl, that's autism. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is so funny. Mm -hmm. I just, I love looking back and laughing about all of that stuff that happened when I was little. And I was like, nobody knew. Mm -hmm. You mean to tell me that I went through my whole childhood and everybody was like, yes, this is a neurotypical kid right here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, back on the topic of sexuality. Many autistic people say that they are gender fluid. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's something about autism that would make people identify that way? Yeah, I do. I think that because autistic people, a lot of times, you know, perceive society and societal expectations differently. I think that there's a lot of different ways that we we choose to express ourselves. When I kind of really started coming into the autism community and trying to learn more about what other autistic people identified as and the things that they felt, I almost felt like a fraud because I'm not gender fluid. I identify through and through as a woman. And so I was just like, do I belong here? Am I really welcome? And then I realized that it's not really just about gender fluidity, it's the perception of gender as a whole. And I realized that my autism is likely the reason that my femininity is such a critical part of my identity. What do you mean by that? I actually, I realized this when I was doing a show where I had to play like an older man and I had to do basically man drag and I could not place it. But I was like, this is such an uncomfortable feeling and I don't like it. I don't know why, but I don't like it. I have found that I have no issue playing younger boys, but I do not want to be seen as a man. And in general, like I just know how important it is for me to be seen and recognized as a woman because that is just such a critical part of of me and who I am and the way that I present in the world. And I thought that was just me being weird, but I really do think that it is just the way that I perceive gender and the way that it intertwines with me and my personality. Okay. So 
when you say that it's your autism, do you mean that it's like kind of a characteristic of autism to be rigid with some things? And so you're kind of rigid with wanting to be seen as a woman? I never thought about it that way, but that does make sense. I was thinking more along the lines of like, just because autistic people can sometimes have very unique perceptions of of societal rules and things like that, that can kind of bleed into gender. And then for me, my perception of gender is that it is just really important for me to be seen this specific way. But I think your explanation even makes more sense than the way that I was thinking about it. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm not sure because I'm also trying to wrap my head around it. Because on the other side, you're also saying that a lot of autistic people don't really see clear lines of gender. So it's kind of the opposite yeah. of how you're perceiving things. I think the weird thing is that I don't see clear lines of gender. I'm like, any way that somebody wants to present, heck yeah, live your life. And then I'm, I feel like I'm all the way to one side of it. And I'm just like, give me everything feminine. I think that's also partially because I'm just really trying to reclaim the things that I feel potentially held me back growing up. I don't even want to say held me back. I don't want to promote the idea of it, that being a woman is a barrier, but you know, in, in some ways it is. And I, want to really just lean into all of my identities that make me who I am. And that is being feminine, being queer, being autistic. And, you know, I see no reason to run away from that. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Okay, Grace, just a side question for my own clarity. So is there a distinction when people identify as queer versus identifying as gay? Um, this, this is one of those things that I, even I'm not an expert here. I think that queer is like a little bit more expansive. Logistically speaking, I basically identify as a lesbian, but I like the term queer just because during that time in early 2020, when I was focused so much on growth and on, on trying to find myself. One issue that I kept running into is that I kept trying to put myself into boxes. And so I felt like I had to be every aspect of one stereotype. And so it was more of an act of rebellion against my mind and against the parts of me that were saying, you have to have a strict label. You have to stay in these confines. And I think my identifying as queer is just kind of me saying, no, I don't. I can do what I want. That's just what it is for me. So obviously I can't speak for everyone. Okay, got it. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, of course. So let's talk about your acting. Heck yeah. <laughs> How did you get into theater? Well, as I mentioned before, I did competitive improv when I was younger, uh -huh. <laughs> which every time I mention that, I laugh about it because I'm just like, you know, what world do we live in where competitive improv is a thing? <laughs> but we live in one. And if you're seeing this, my coach, Charlotte, hey, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, but that's how I got started. I got started in improv. And then my coach needed somebody to be in the ensemble of this show that she was directing. And so she was like, hey, come do this. And I was like, okay, I'll come do this. And then 
I have never looked back. <laughs> I've been performing ever since, and it's really great. I love it. Nice. So what kinds of roles do you find most fulfilling? Well, it totally depends on whether we're talking theater or film, because they are completely different art forms, and I love them both. I love, I love, love, love doing musicals, just because there's always been a special place in my heart for uh, belting my heart out. <laughs> I've played Carrie in Carrie the Musical, based on the Stephen King novel. Oh, the one yes, where... Yes, there is a musical. Yes. The high school. Yep. Oh my gosh, okay. Where she gets the blood dumped on her. <laughs> wow. I know. That sounds like a fun experience. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I want to do the show again, just because when we did it, you know, it was it was a little bit after COVID lockdowns first kind of let up. And so we were still performing in masks and we couldn't touch. And it was a weird, like kind of mildly dystopian type of theater. Mm-hmm. So I really would like to revisit that role in a production where where it's it's I guess like a like a full production. Mhm. Yeah, wearing a mask on stage like there's so much that you lose from the person's facial expression. There really is. In the last two coming on 3 years, I've been performing in in a mask a lot and I think I think I've done one show without. And that was when restrictions really started to let up in Texas, where I'm from. And so then when I came to Chicago, here, all of the restrictions were still very high up. And I respect that. And so I'm not going to fight the system on that because I get it. But I'm excited for the day that we will be able to perform without masks again. Right. Can you share a memorable experience from being on stage other than having blood dumped all over you? <laughs> well, that, that was definitely memorable. Um <laughs> I definitely, this is, this is from Carrie technically. So, but the blood that we used was like a mix of, I think, dish soap and corn syrup and, and all of this really weird stuff that just was so gross. And it ended up getting in my eyes. Oh no. And I could not see. And there was this part where I had to try and find my light while like crawling across the stage covered in blood. <laughs> and the director was just yelling at me from the back, like, find your light why are your eyes closed? And I was like, um, I, can I have like a towel, please? I can't <laughs> see anything. If I open my eyes, it'll get in there more. And then he was like, oh, can we hold? <laughs> and he came up and he brought me a paper towel and he was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, you're fine. I'm good. But one thing that I really do remember, I, usually I am so sensitive to sensory input, obviously. And I acted in this student film that was filming in North Carolina. They, they flew me and my mom out there. And it was a, a Victorian era period drama. And my character had to dig a grave and did a lot of stuff in this grave. And so for majority of this film, I was covered in dirt. And it was that gross North Carolina dirt that is like <sighs> kind of clay-like. And so it's not just dust. It's not like Texas dirt that is just dust. Uh-huh. Okay. It was this stuff that is like cakey and meh. And I remember in my mind, I was like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. 
But that was in the back of my mind because this was the first like big film project I ever worked on. And so in the forefront of my mind, I was like, this is so cool. (laughs) And so I think it's interesting how uh, actor brain and how industry brain just completely pushed autism brain to the side and said, you shut up. We are doing something cool right now. <laughs> and I still I still smile when I think about that film. Mm-hmm. What was that one called? It's called uh, I Do Not Sleep. It's on IMDb. Poster's really cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. So how did finding out about your diagnosis affect your acting? Oh, my goodness this is this is actually like a like a big thing it didn't really do much until i started actively working to unmask and now <laughs> acting has actually gotten a lot harder <laughs> because i am outside of my acting i'm working so hard to unmask my autistic traits and so sometimes when i have to play a character who's not on the spectrum and I have to kind of put all of that stuff in my back pocket and put on a completely new persona, it can actually be more difficult because I have kind of unlearned all of those social constraints that a non-autistic character would follow. So I have to sort of get back into that headspace and find all those things that I know that I would do if I were a character that wasn't on the spectrum. And so that's kind of a challenge. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I didn't expect that to be an issue. I would think that acting would get easier just because, you know, you're coming out of your shell. You're you're really showing yourself. And so now you have access to like a whole wealth of emotional information that you you can pull from for characters. But no, for some reason it is gotten really difficult for me to play allistic characters and i don't know if allistic is a word that people use on the podcast a lot but it just means not autistic okay thank you for explaining that yeah do you prefer that to neurotypical i guess because neurotypical is different neurotypical is different just because allistic can include people with like adhd right right so it just it totally depends And it depends on the situation. Just means non-autistic. Yeah. It's just like shorthand. (laughs) Okay. Verbal shorthand. Yeah. All of these terms to try and keep up with. I know. (laughs) It can be a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. So do you play a lot of autistic roles? I have only played one role that I can look back on and say, it would make sense if this character was autistic coded. But it was never written into the script. I have never played an autistic character. I've been in two shows with a character who either was written to be autistic or was written to be, I guess, have some sort of developmental difference. And in neither of those did I play the character on the spectrum. (laughs) Okay, got it. Which I thought was really interesting. And actually, in both of them, I played one of the oppressors to those characters. Oh, okay. What was that like to be in that on that side? I guess I never really knew that I was autistic at that time, but I was like, this is weird. Mm. But okay, like I know that it's not me. 
I know that I'm just saying lines. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, eh, I don't like being mean to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. So what do you think could be done to increase representation of autism in the arts, specifically for females? I am working on it. I really am. I'm a playwright as well. That's what I'm majoring in uh, in university. And I am working really hard to increase autistic representation that is not just the same stereotypes we've seen. And, you know, I don't know what the requirements are to be an autism consultant on some shows like, you know, The Good Doctor and Atypical and things like that. But I know that those shows do have an autism consultant. And I don't know if that is like a professional psychologist or if it is somebody with autism. I would think it should be the second one. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. We've had some consultants come on the podcast. That are also autistic? Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. Cool. Yeah, I, I didn't know what the, what the requirements to do that would be, but I think that would be a cool job. Maybe just depending on how the stars align for me. But other than that, you know, I'm, I'm writing a lot of plays that feature autistic characters for whom autism is not their entire personality. In one play that I've been working on for a while, I have kind of an, an Emily Dickinson-esque writer who just really does not speak with a filter, speaks her mind, writes these really heavy poems and is really passionate about them. And in a critique that I received for it, the person that was giving me feedback said, and, and I don't use the word Asperger's, but this person did. They said, it would make sense if somebody were to portray this character as having Asperger's syndrome. And I was like, wow. I didn't realize that these things added up for this character to be autistic, but it really makes sense. And then I was seeing all of the aspects of myself that were in this character. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. What do you like about writing? I guess versus like acting or if you could compare the two. Well, I like them both for different reasons. I mean, it just, it depends on what specifically I'm working on. I like acting because I'm able to become anyone and I'm able to bring so many different stories to life. And I like writing because I am the first place that these, the little seeds of stories begin to grow. I am the one who is cultivating them. I am the one who's bringing them into the world for other people to bring to life. And I think about a lot. I, I think about if somebody is going to be able to look at anything that I've written and point to a character and go, that's me then I've done my job. That is all I am hoping that I'm able to do is to provide representation to people like me who didn't have that growing up because I didn't realize how much I was missing. The first time that I really saw myself in a piece of media, I don't know if you've seen the prom movie with, <laughs> with James Gordon and Meryl Streep. No, I haven't. It's pretty good. James Corden gets like a six out of 10. Okay. <laughs> he was okay. <sighs> but the main character in that movie, her name is Emma, and she is a 
queer high schooler that ends up in a happy relationship. And I was watching this movie sitting out with my family and the the ending song came on and I just did not know what came over me, but I just started sobbing, uncontrollably sobbing. And my parents were like, are you okay? And I was like, that's me. I've never seen myself before. And it was the most freeing thing. Because I was able to look at, at the TV and, and I can only imagine what the magic of this would feel like if I was watching it live. Mm-hmm. But I was able to look up and go, there is a place for me in this industry and in this world. And I'm going to find it. And I, I hope that I can inspire other people like that, even if just a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Grace, let's talk about your transition into college. Because you moved from Texas to Chicago, you said, right? Yes. What was that transition like for you? (sighs) Whoa, boy. (laughs) It was a lot, definitely. I feel so weird every time I say this. But sometimes it is harder being away from my dogs than it is being away from the human members of my family. (laughs) I get it. I have a dog. I totally understand what you're talking about. I'm such a dog person. I'm having a hard time. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I was just recently away from my dog and my husband and I were saying that it's harder because you can't call the dog. Exactly. You can call your parents and catch up with them. Exactly. But you hold up the screen to the animal and maybe their ears kind of like perk up if they hear your voice, but they really don't know that's you. No, one, one of my dogs just gets freaked out by the phone. He's like, uh, that sounds like a familiar human's voice, but I don't see the human. I hate this. <laughs> what is wrong? And then other dog, he's an angel. He really is, but there's nothing going on behind those eyes, just elevator music. And so hmm. my mom shows the screen to him and he's like, okay, <laughs> that's a phone. <laughs> Okay, sorry to interrupt you. Go on with what you were saying. <laughs> okay. No, you're good. You're good. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it started out really difficult just because I was so focused on all of the things that I was leaving behind. But once I really started to develop a, a community and find friends here, it was easier because I wasn't as focused on the losses anymore. I was more focused on the things that I was gaining and the friendships I was making, and all of the amazing things that I was learning, and this awesome city that I'm getting to call my home. And that's, that's I think, the thing that made it the easiest, is that I was able to see all of the things that I was getting from this, rather than when I was losing. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the accommodations that you ask for at school? I actually just went to the Center for Students with Disabilities. I, I scheduled a meeting And then I just kind of showed up and I was like, what do you have? (laughs) Um, Like, what do, what accommodations are typically provided to autistic students? Because when I was in high school, it was kind of a a nightmare of a process. Back when I was in public high school, I have to say, because I did go to a performing arts school for two and a half years, which was great. Stressful at times, but great. (laughs) But when I was in public school, I mean, it was seriously just a giant crapshoot 
trying to get any sort of accommodations there. They did not want to help me. And so coming into college, I was kind of expecting the same thing. I was like, they are probably going to look at me and go, we don't got anything for you. Go back to your room. (laughs) But when I asked them, they were like, okay, yeah. So what are the areas in which you feel like you need the most benefit? And I was like, well, I mean, sensory stuff would be helpful. And they were like, oh yeah, like, do you need to have fidgets in class or something? And I was like, I mean, that would be helpful. And they were like, well, I'll be honest, teachers don't care. That was the biggest earth shattering revelation. I was like, what do you mean teachers don't care? They're not going to yell at me for it. Teachers aren't going to yell at me if I have to step out of the class because I get overstimulated and need to take a minute in the hallway. What? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, welcome to college. (laughs) No, I know. It's so weird when you come from such a rigid school system that's like, you have to ask to go to the bathroom and you can't go to the bathroom more than this many times in a day. And when you do, you have to have a pass. And it's like, you get to college and you ask to go to the bathroom and they laugh at you. They're like, go, you're an adult. (laughs) Right. Go potty. Like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so I have an accommodation that allows me to type out my notes instead of writing them. That mostly is written into my file in the event that I get a professor that likes to put up a stink about that kind of stuff. Most professors don't care. But I did have one last quarter who was like, there will be no technology use in my class. Oh, okay. And so, you know, my friend and I were sitting in the very front row and both of us have iPads out and my friend has a transcriptionist and we have all of our classes together. And so it's actually really helpful because I'm able to see the transcription as it's being typed out because we always sit by each other. And so I definitely benefit from that, even though that's not one of my accommodations technically. I've got that. I get PDFs of my books so that I can put them into a text-to-speech software, which is so helpful because I hate nothing more than having to sit down and read 36 pages of anything. And so just being able to like click a button and having it read the stuff out to me is like the most helpful thing because I can be doing dishes while I'm listening to my assigned reading, which is so nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, those and those are the things that I have. I realized that being in a dorm situation is definitely not right for me. And so I'm uh, I'm going to be getting an apartment with two friends next year. And so I'm going to have my own room, which I'm very excited about. I've done what I can to make my dorm private for when I need some gracie time. Uh, and so I've got <laughs> I've got some curtain rods around the bottom of my bed that I have lofted. And so... I can just close the curtain and it's not a door, but it's close enough. And I've got a little comfy chair and some string lights. So it's the best I can do. Oh, nice. But not bad. Not bad. Got your little safe space there. Yeah. I call it my Gracie Nook. (laughs) So what kinds of support would you like to see made available for autistic females? Just in general. Um... I think a lot of it has to do with with representation and with diverse representation specifically. Because as great as it is to be able to see, you know, on TikTok, there are more and more 
artistic creators that are that are beginning to come into the spotlight and help to educate people. And it's so nice to be able to see somebody who looks and behaves like me and be able to look at them and go, yes, I, I feel seen. But even more than that, like there are so many other demographics other than, you know, a white woman on the spectrum. There needs to be a lot more representation that is that is amplified for queer people, people of color, disabled people on the spectrum. Like there are so many communities that need representation. And I think at this point, it's just a question of what are we doing to amplify the voices that need to be heard? And so I'm trying my best to do that. And I know a lot of people are. And I think that is the biggest thing, as well as just promoting not just autism awareness, but autism acceptance. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's April's coming up and it's Autism Acceptance Month. I know this because there is a very nice bulletin board in my hall that my RA did. I saw it. It made me very happy because it's got a bunch of pro-autism resources, a bunch of stuff by autistic people, which definitely do that. Listen to autistic people about autistic issues. Woo. <laughs> i'll die on that hill i will like yeah we're right here and we're talking (laughs) Mm -hmm. what are your goals for the future um this is a very uh it's very broad but when somebody asks me what i want to do with my life or in the future my my default answer is i just want to make art and be happy so I'm still on the on the road to figuring out what that means. But I know it's going to mean something good. And I know that even if the first, you know, three jobs that I end up taking are not the right fit, then, you know, there's going to be something. And so I think it's just a lot of trusting the process, which is very difficult for somebody like me who likes to know exactly what's going on at all times. (laughs) Uh, But I'm working on it. I am. And it's getting easier just because I have amazing friends and a really great community here that I feel like I am able to rely on and really lean on. Great. All right, Grace, I'd like to close with one last question. All right. What advice would you give to other autistic women who are aspiring to be actresses? Your voice is necessary in this industry. Work hard. Be loud. Do not let anybody speak over you. Because you have a voice and you have the power to make your voice heard. Don't shrink yourself for anybody. Because there are going to be people that say you have to make yourself smaller in order to be palatable. And you do not. Keep being loud and proud and you and there's going to be a perfect opportunity that comes up for you where you are going to be able to bring something to this industry that nobody else can and until then just keep being your wonderful beautiful amazing self all right well thank you grace thank you for having me how can people learn more about you feel free to check out my instagram at grace everett spelled the exact way my name is, or my website, graceeverett.org. And there's a ton of uh, my stuff 
on there. You can you can watch some videos of me acting. You can read some of my plays through that website. All kinds of stuff is there. If you want to say hi, my Instagram DMs are open and I'm happy to talk to you, especially if you are another uh, young autistic person who wants a friend in this industry, then heck yeah, I'm always here for you. All right. Well, thank you, Grace. This has been lovely. Thank you. And good luck to you and everything, all of your endeavors. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Grace is a role model to other young autistic individuals aspiring to become actors and playwrights. Continuing to share their unique perspective will help increase autistic representation in the arts and bring society closer to full inclusion and acceptance. Like Grace, are you a self-advocate willing to share your story and educate others? Or are you a family member hoping to support and empower your loved one? Are you a professional seeking to hear directly from autistic voices and improve your practice? Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online global autism community to connect and collaborate with people all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.